business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What's going on, small business nation? Today, we're talking about something everyone likes talking about, which is money. Oh, yeah. You guys money. have got to hear what our guest Jody Grunin has to say. He helps business owners dive deep into the financial side of their businesses to maximize profits, minimize taxes, increase cash flow. You guys are going to definitely want to hear it. Jody, I got to do a, I got to do an introduction for you, man. And it's a long one, but I think it's a good thing. You're, okay. you have got quite I'm ready. the, I'm ready. you're talented, yeah. man. I tried Jody to Jody is the co-founder of Summit CPA Group. Summit in 2002, which merged with Anders CPAs and advisors, Anders in 2022. Summit, now a division of Anders, was the first fully distributed accounting firm. And as the leading provider of virtual CFO services in North America, Summit provides professional virtual CFO services for over 100 companies across the United States, helping business owners dive deep into the financial side of their businesses to maximize, maximize profits, minimize taxes, and increase cash flow. Jody is also an industry speaker and a published author. He has literally wrote the book on helping digital companies create a financial roadmap to success, digital dollars and cents. Jody, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, John, for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, man, we're, we're excited about this one. So, all right, we got to kick this thing off with an icebreaker. Let's, let's kick it. Ice, icebreaker. All right. So would you rather be the strongest man on earth or the smartest man on earth? Man. Oh, I think definitely the smartest man on earth for sure. Um, uh, definitely without a doubt. Uh, with, uh, with, you know, really to get anywhere in life, you've got to, you got to use your brains. Uh, mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot that, that you, you couldn't, you can't accomplish without, without uh, using that noggin up there. So I, I would say definitely, definitely strong or definitely smartest. I'm already the strongest. Right. So we're, we're, we're good with that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I like to think I'm the strongest too, you know, no, no, no big no, deal. I'm the strongest. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can, how can I be the strongest if Jody's the strongest? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I think I'd have to go with the uh, smartest man on earth too. Cause I feel like if you're the smartest, then that means, you know, the, the ways of your health. It means, you know, the ways of mm. hiring. I mean, I don't need to be the strongest man on earth if I've got a private security detail, you know, because right. I, exactly. I, was, I was super <laughs> smart, you know. So that's, I think that I'm going to go with that too. I'm going to go with that too. John, what about you, man? You know, I was thinking strength right away. But brains are strength. That's right. And when Jody went there, I thought, yeah. And then thinking about it, you know, we interview a lot of these top athletes, extreme competitors, and almost all of them tell you, you don't have to be physically so strong. It's all the mental game. It's right. having a strong mind gives you a strong body. So yeah, I'm definitely going to go with smartest. Well, there you have it, guys. We're, we're all the smartest men on earth. If you didn't know, <laughs> 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 we want to be, we want to be. <laughs> oh man, I, Jody, I'm excited about this conversation, man. We we obviously get the chance to interview a lot of great people, but I got a chance to read your bio. I think maybe your team has maybe tried to prospect me in the past on LinkedIn. So 
Uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I definitely when I saw the name of the company, I was like, hey, I think I know this company. <laughs> so uh, excited to just kind of jump into your uh, jump into your story. So why don't you talk to us about how you got your start in accounting and and really kind of where the shift was and when you became interested in providing more this virtual CFO service? Yeah, no, great question. So I started in accounting. I graduated a long time ago and uh I thought, you know, accounting was the way to go, and that's what I wanted to do for my entire life and all that kind of great stuff. And I wanted to work for the biggest accounting firms in the world. And then I uh, took my first job and, and realized within about three years that I didn't ever want to work for another public accounting firm ever. Uh, the uh, hours were very, it was, it was, it was hours are draining. It seemed like yeah. every busy season, our tax season, I pretty much got sick at just mentally sick, you know, talking with the mental game there, just mentally yeah. sick from just like throwing up and like, gosh, I can't, I, I didn't want to do it. And it was physically demanding. And then I, so I thought, you know what, I, I don't like this public accounting stuff because I can't do what I want to do. I want to be a hockey coach. I want to do all these cool stuff with the kids and you know, as they grow up and uh, that there's no way I could do that working 80 hours a week from January through May ain't, ain't going to happen. And, yeah. and so I thought, well, let's go to the corporate world. Let's try that in accounting, you know, and, and that world was great for the first year because it's that new experience working for a $250 million manufacturing company. I thought this is great. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Then about, uh, it was probably about a year later. It's like, this is the most boring thing I've ever had in my life. <laughs> How do I get out of it? <laughs> it's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> it was like, yeah, right? it was like, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do now? You know, I don't like public. I don't like private. You know, what is there left for me to do? And so I thought, well, let me, what, what about, let, want the entrepreneur out of me? My dad's an entrepreneur. Yeah. So let, let, let's see what that does. I thought, well, let's start my own accounting firm. And, I, and when I started my own accounting firm, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do things completely different than what I learned in public and then what I learned in um, you know, the private industry. And I wanted to change the way that people really thought about accounting in general. So I wanted to do things completely different. So I dressed yeah. down, no suits, no ties, nothing like that. Back 20 years ago, that was like a, a requirement. You had to have a yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, if you're going to be a business person, right? And, and so I get get rid of that completely. I, I dressed down 100%. You know, I, I wanted to create a, a, a dynamic that we didn't have to bill by the hour because, you know, again, that was kind of really weird, right? You, you're you're billing people for the time you work, and then then they get this big bill, and and then then you're you're like, boy, they're going to be really happy because I discounted it and all this kind of stuff, and then they get the big bill and they're they're super super upset. Yeah. Or the same thing happens. You create this bill, and you think you think, oh my gosh, they're gonna they're gonna kill me, and then they go, mm -hmm. my gosh, I couldn't believe it's that cheap. So it's like I you couldn't win. So it's like, well, win. why yeah. are we doing this game? So I thought <laughs> let's let's do this flat fee type thing. And so what we did is we we. We started this tax practice initially, made it into a flat fee. We're actually meeting with clients on a regular week, or actually at that time it was a regular monthly basis. And we're, we're just kind of cleaning up their stuff. And the whole idea was is that if we could fix their stuff throughout the year, the tax return would be no big deal. We're not spending you know yeah. a, a week on a tax return, uh, unraveling all the mysteries that happened the year before. We're, we, we actually are just putting it together and, and it's done. And, and so that was the idea, hey, let's eliminate this busy season thing. And so... We, we, we did it. We, we, we worked, we worked it, we worked it, we worked it. And, and then eventually the clients were like, you know what, we're talking about the past a lot. You know, they didn't really care. Their eyes kind of glossed over a little bit. A lot of times when we're, we're going through stuff, you know, help me figure out what, you know, the future. And so it was like, okay, well, let's figure that out. So we started introducing forecasting into us. So initially it was short, short term cash forecasting, you know, really kind of showing them what they 
did over the next three weeks, you know, three you know, to see where their cash position was going to be. But then it led to long-term cash forecasting. You know, hey, what what's our posi- cash position going to be? You know, next November, next October. What's it going to be in a year or two years from now? What's my you know, it, it, help me grow my company so that you know we're, we're five million now, we're seven million now, we're ten million in, in two years. How do I do that? Those are the types of questions that that, that they're asking. It's like. It was like, wow, this epiphany thing. This is something that clients really like. You know, and we called it virtual CFO services back in probably 2007 is when we were, or actually 2004 is when we really started focusing on the virtual CFO service side and they loved it. Now, the, the nice thing about it was they're getting a flat fee every month. They're meeting with us on a monthly basis, really going through stuff. And we are really looking forward instead of backward. And that was the that was the big key, right? That was the big switch that accounting firms never did. And, uh, you know, with that, you know, they're like, you know, hey, you know, could you meet with us more often? And we're like, well, of course we could. And so then we thought, let's meet with you weekly. And so with our with our with our clients, we converted them to meeting with them weekly. And we thought, you know what, if we're going to meet with you weekly, let's just go ahead and bill you weekly. And we thought this is great. It's flat fee bill weekly. Why not? And yeah. so in 2007, we created a subscription based billing model in which we just simply zap their account every Monday. Because we already know the fee, no invoices, no AR, hit their account every Monday. Let's make this service so that it's not contingent upon a year contract or two years. We don't want that kind of stuff. Netflix doesn't do that. You know, let's let's do the uh, the weekly thing where they can they can unsubscribe anytime they want. So hmm. we, we get involved with it. You know, they're going on and they say, you know, six months later, Jody, you, you, you know, you're not what you guys are cracked up to be. I don't want, I want to quit. It's done. We'll just we'll move you over to your, your new you know new provider, and it was great. It worked out really well. Clients loved it. And then with the subscription based model, we, we created different service levels where our top level is kind of like anything goes. You know, if you want us to do a, a profit sharing plan, if you want us to do phantom stock options, if you want us to help you, you know, really model some really high sophisticated model, you know, sophisticated model to help your growth, we could do that too. And, and it became a really anything goes in that in that bucket area. And clients loved it. You know, it was like, this is great because they knew the expectation. They knew that, hey, you know, not now, you know, Jody and his team are part of our company versus a vendor that I've got to get a bill and pay a bill and manage the bill and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of when the virtual CFO service really started, really started going. But you know what? (laughs) Back in 2004, it didn't go really well because nobody knew anything about it. It wasn't anything like that out there. right? And so it was like a completely new phenomenon. And so it was like we were picking, we we're picking up maybe one to four clients a year. And we're like, you know, Adam and I were talking about it. We're like, how do we scale this thing? Because this is a great mm-hmm. idea. How do you scale it? And we we kept we kept doing the SEO. And we're really big into marketing and huge in inbound marketing. We really did. We blogged basically, uh, you know, daily for about ten years straight. Wow. And uh, with that, it, it really got our SEO up there. So that anytime you search now in in virtual CFO services, we're going to pop up on that first page. Anywhere in the United States, and and it really started picking up clients outside of Indiana, which was pretty mm-hmm. cool because we were located in Fort Wayne, right? And uh, it, and then it just started growing, and then it wasn't until fast forward until about two thousand nine, two thousand ten, we started really focusing on an industry. Uh, mm-hmm. So we niched a product, which was the virtual CFO service, and that's all we did. And then we niched an industry, which is creative agencies, web design, web development, SEO companies. You know, basically, really anything in that creative agency space, and then that's when we really saw everything really explode. We started picking up client after client after client. Instead of one to four clients a year, we're picking up. You know, today we're picking up four to six clients a month, and with that, it's because of that industry niche. You know, clients 
wanted people that really understood their industry. And as of today, we've got about 175 clients uh, nationwide. We actually have some in Canada. We have some in, in Europe, kind of really all over the place. And, and with that, 60% of those clients are in our industry or in that creative agency space, which is, which is hmm. what really kind of spurred our growth. Because once we did that in 2010, we tripled or actually doubled our, our revenue every three years. And so we went from, you know, a million dollars to we'll do $12 million in revenue this year, all subscription based, no mm-hmm. AR. And with that, it, it just continues to grow and continues to funnel. And the nice thing about it, it's still 100% inbound marketing. So we, you know, I'll do speaking engagements. I'll write books. Uh, I'll go to events. We, we write articles like all the time, daily articles all over the place. We do podcasts, we do webinars, all the different types of things to get really that thought leadership brand out there. And uh, with that, you know, clients call us. We don't reach out to clients. We don't email blast clients, nothing like that, or prospects. Everything, everything comes to us and, and it comes to us and it, and it continues. You can kind of see the growth continues to go up. So, you know, that that's kind of the, sh- the long story and the short question. You know, we went from 2002, you know, basically bootstrapped it, had no money, started something very from scratch, wanted to change things the way we did things. We introduced the CFO, introduced subscription base, went uh, went went uh, went went to the uh, industry niche. Oh, and the one thing I forgot to tell you is that in 2013, went fully remote. So 100% remote. Wow. Started yeah. hiring people all across the United States and, and outside of the United States to really kind of help things go. And that that's what really helped us be able to ma- maintain that high growth is because if we were hiring everybody in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that would be super tough. It'd be really hard to <laughs> to get all the talent that yeah. we needed as quick as we needed. Uh, whereas now we'll, we'll hire you know eight to, eight to ten folks a year in various positions in the company. You know as we grow, and I think we're up like seventy five employees right now, and another probably twelve contractors across the world. That's really cool, man. I think obviously you were a part of that early pioneering of kind of I think what people know now as virtual CFOs and virtual CFO services, which I think is incredible. I mean because as an agency owner myself, and honestly, just as a tenured entrepreneur, um, one of the biggest challenges that I think businesses have is cash flow and understanding, you know, just predictability and revenue and mm-hmm. growth and what they need to do. Uh, that was something that up until about, you know, four or five years ago, if you would have came and asked me, like, what do you need to, you know, uh, grow your business or to hire one more employee or any of these questions, I would have said I had no idea. Like, I would have had to like right. go ask somebody to pull a report. Um, I'm way, I've, uh, take a lot deeper of a dive into that data now. And I could probably tell you what my annual recurring revenue is, my monthly recurring revenue. All, I mean, all of that stuff, what my churn rate is like that stuff's important to me, but I think a lot of businesses struggle in that arena. Mm-hmm. Something else that like stood out in what you were saying to me, obviously as a marketing owner, uh, agency owner was the fact that like consistency really paid off for you guys. You know, mm-hmm. you guys were kind of in a space that was like relatively new, People didn't know a lot about you guys yet. Uh, you were bringing a new product, a new service, a new idea. And instead of just like throwing in the towel, like you guys stayed true to what you guys knew was something that was like special. And you guys were consistent. I mean, the daily blogs, the that the constant inbound content. People a lot of times will get discouraged with inbound marketing because it's not a six-month process. It's right. It takes years of kind of grinding it out, you know, and it's like, but if you can hold true like to, to what you know is a good product, a good service, a good idea, and you're consistent about being that thought leader, I think you can find a lot of success. I mean, that's honestly how a lot of our success has come around too, is just constantly putting out content. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, we challenge ourselves daily, like, okay, we're not putting out enough content, you know, which 
seems like they're, you can never put out enough content, it seems like. Right. But um, that's really cool. So how would you, for someone out there that's listening to this episode that has no idea what a CFO is, or maybe they don't understand the difference between working with, say, like a traditional bookkeeper or traditional accountant mm -hmm. versus a virtual mm -hmm. CFO, could you maybe dive into that just a little bit? No, that's a great, great question, because that does come up pretty often. It even comes up in the accounting industry. When, when a lot of accountants will call themselves virtual CFOs, you'll find out, well, they're just simply doing back office accounting work. They'll be paying the mm -hmm. bills, bank recs, credit card recs, that sort of thing. And, and that's, that's definitely needed. And that's what we call the, the official term in the industry is CAS 1.0, Client Advisory Services. And so that's the 1.0 version of it. And like I said, I would say 99% of the firms out there, that's what they provide. Great service. That's a, th that's a third of our clients. So when, when a client comes to us, a third of them want us to do that back office stuff because they can't afford to hire two of us you know, or have somebody on staff and do that. Or it really depends on the growth of the company. Sure. But 100% of our clients have us do the, what we call CAS 2.0, which is the strategy part you know, that you add, mm -hmm. add it on top of it. So the strategy part is, you know, hey, we're going to help you with your short-term cash. So we'll help identify what the inflows and outflows of the company are. You know, and spread that across and kind of really define, hey, here's what we think your cash burn is going to be over the next 12 weeks. You know, do you need to, you know, do, you need to some, do something immediately or is it, are, you, are you fine or is there something out there that we need to, to collect on, you know, whether that's a, an AR issue that you've been kind of pushing off and, you know, hey, now it's becoming to where you need to have a page. You know, so that's kind of the, the cash flow. The forecasting part, which is the big part of it, is where we're actually diving into it and, and looking at those non-financial indicators, whether that's clients coming in, that could be churn rate, that could be, you know, really, you know, the average size of the company. If you're an hourly biller, it could be your average client size or your average hourly, you know, your average, you know, your, your hourly rate, you know what that is, you know, what's the your utilization rate, you know, all the different uh, factors that you as an owner have control over. You know, you've got control over how many employees you have, you've got control over that. And then putting that information in and dialing it in and, and spreading that into a financial sense. So based on the number of employees you have, let's say you have 17 employees, you know, your average bill rate's 175 bucks an hour, and you should generate roughly $3 million in revenue. You know, that should be kind of your, your target thing. Well, that's great. You know, how do I do that? And, and, and so that's what the, the, basically the CFO is helping them do, helping them forecast that out. Because when they start forecasting it out, they're going to find that every single month is going to be a little different than the other, you know, because of the capacity, because some months have more days in it. Some months have mm -hmm. holidays, you know, all, all these different factors that come in that could affect the utilization rate. Uh, and then you've got clients that maybe you, you can't bill that average bill rate that you have. You know, so there's so there's, a, there's a lot of dynamics that go into building that forecast. And so it's it's more than just simply saying, hey, I want to increase sales by 10 percent next year. We all high five and they're like, OK, how do you do it? Well, it will happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's not that's not what that's not that's not good. Not good. Story yeah, yeah, no. yourself. So it's really diving in and, and, and guiding it. And so then when, when, it, when it comes to the strategy part, once that forecast is really built up and I don't I'm not just talking the income side. I'm, I'm more so talking the the asset side, you know, where mm -hmm. where your where your debt is at, you know, where your cash is at, what your line of credit's at. You know, where it's going to be throughout that process, because that's really important. How much distributions can you take out as, a, as an owner safely without hurting your company? How much mm -hmm. cash should you have in your company? You know, we always say 10% of your annualized revenue should be in the bank at all times. So if you're a $3 million company, you should have 300K sitting in the bank. And, and how many people have that? Well, our clients about have about 15% of their average revenue in the bank. So, it, so again, that's the important part about it is knowing how much money you should have in there, because... 
you know, different different things happen. You know, yeah. you, you, you know, obviously we don't want the the you know the sky to fall like it did. You know, a couple of years well, over the last couple yeah. of years. Sure, yeah. Again, but that <laughs> is a possibility. We want to make sure that you know you're set up for success, mm-hmm. even when bad things do happen, or even yeah. good things happen. Let's say that you're hiring. You, you've got this business dev, dev person that you've wanted forever, but you just don't have the money. You don't have the the revenue band for it. Well, you know, mm-hmm. if you got cash in the bank, I'm going to say, you know what, take the risk. If you don't have cash in the bank, I'm going to say run from that risk. You know, so cash is really that determining factor, right? And so it it really does that. And so that's what the CFO does: sits alongside the business owner um, in, in a weekly meeting and a monthly meeting, depending upon the cadence there, and really helps them guide them to help them make decisions. Because often, too many times, you know, as business owners, we're alone. You know, you oh, know, we want to make these decisions, mm-hmm. and we can't tell anybody because if the wrong thing gets out, you know, it could go really yeah. bad for our company. Whereas when you have the you know that this person sitting alongside you, that you can share your your hey your 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 worries, your issues, you know all the different things that are affecting your company, and they can help you guide you in a financial. It really makes you a lot stronger leader and helps you really make those sound decisions. Yeah, I mean, so that's kind of in the nutshell. That's the difference there. So yeah, I mean, I I wish I would have had some of that advice and direction early in my business days because I felt like I made a lot of like unnecessary mistakes. You know, um, financially speaking, whether it was like hiring someone too early or, you know, um, one of the big ones that I've only improved on probably in the last two or three years has been like solid goal setting. Right. Like you yeah. kind of joked about the fact that like, yeah, you know, everybody's sitting around like, hey, we're going to grow by 10 percent next year. And it's like, oh, hoorah, you know, like, great. What, <laughs> what does that what does that even mean? You know, um, and really in the last few years, like we've sat down as a as a unit and said, OK, hey, here's where we're at you know, revenue wise, this is where we need to be to see growth. This is, this is kind of what that looks like broken down into number of new retainers, uh, you know, flat rate versus recurring revenue, you know, kind of all of that. And uh, it makes a world of difference because everyone's working towards that goal. And there's a lot more transparency as as an organization, kind of cross cross organization. And I think that it, I mean, I can speak for ourselves and say that last year when we sat down and we talked about what our goals were for this year, we've hit all of our goals for the year. Before, I would have just kind of hoping that we were going to do something spectacular, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, that's just yesterday we had our we had our next set, sit down and uh, we went over the numbers and we we're like, okay, we need this much new revenue. And it's like, here's our minimum goal. And here's our like, hey, this would be real nice if we could hit this goal and, mm-hmm. and what it's going to take to do that. And, you know, again, I wish I would have had someone by me kind of, kind of encouraging me and pushing me along that path because I didn't know, like you said, a lot of times business owners are pretty much out on this island by themselves. You know, people say they understand or they can relate, but the bottom line is that unless you're an entrepreneur, you don't understand entrepreneurship. It is, right. it is a, it's a totally different world that, that kind of we operate in, you know, even things like saving, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I never thought about my, like, I never thought about my business finances the way I thought about my personal finances. It's like, you know, personal finances, oh, I might lose my job. I need three months worth of income. I need some money for a rainy day in case like I need to replace Mm -hmm. my tires. But with the business, I'm like, oh yeah, everybody's getting paid. Everybody gets a paycheck. I'm doing some (laughs) K1 distributions. We're good. You know, we're living the dream. Um, Mm -hmm. And and all of that stuff really eventually becomes concerning because I can remember the days when there was only enough cash in the business to like maybe run payroll. And I'd like yep. freak out there at the, you know, the final hour figuring out what we're going to do. But I'll say that there's, if you don't have somebody helping guide you, it can be equally as destructive 
when you're as successful because mm -hmm. all of a sudden complacency sets in, right? Yep. When you see $100,000 sitting in the bank and everyone's paid, everyone's eaten well, you know, everyone feels pretty happy about like kind of this, the, the stability of the business, you start to kind of, you kind of start sucking. I mean, bottom line, you aren't yeah, a good steward yeah. of your existing relationships mm -hmm. and your existing clients. You're not protecting that revenue. You're not trying to prevent churn. You're not selling as hard as you did whenever there was only $5 in the bank account. Um, and I think that that's where someone like you guys come really in handy because it's like, hey, great, you have $100,000 in the bank, but <laughs> you right. guys are, you guys, you guys are not sustaining this business. Look at your churn or, mm -hmm. you know, like we've got to do things to make sure that this always is this way. And on the personal side of things, I should be, as a business owner, I should be looking at my business as a part of my overall retirement strategy as mm -hmm. well. Yep. And I think that's mm -hmm. another thing that, I mean, again, I'm speaking for myself. I didn't think about like my business as a part of my retirement strategy. I got my 401k, my IRA, my personal stock portfolio. And then I sat down with my wealth advisor and he's like, you know, your, your business is also a big part of your overall like retirement strategy. And I was just like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense actually. You know? <laughs> so I think, I think having counsel from, from someone mm -hmm. like you makes, makes a world of difference. I, I have another question that kind of came to mind. You obviously yeah. you work in the world of a lot of agencies. Mm -hmm. How do you guys approach financial planning and and uh, you know support of businesses who have irregular or maybe unpredictable revenue streams? Because I know that a lot of agencies kind of live in that unknown where it's like flat rate work and then recurring revenue, and th that can be a challenge. Like you right, you've got like four big four big $10,000 websites a year and then three or four yeah. SEO retainers. How do you guys manage that? Yeah. So I, I, that's, that's really a great question because that, I mean, when you think about it, that's kind of what, what ours is, you know, we, we have yeah, at one point we were fully, you know, we, we were, we had, we had different things, different buckets, flat fee. We had subscription base, we had all over the place. And then we moved to hundred percent subscription base. And that, that was kind of the game setter for us. It was like, for sure. well, this is really easy because we're, you know, we're on, but the problem there is that, you know, with with our subscription base is that you've got you know if, if a client leaves tomorrow boom they're gone right <laughs> you know yeah. and you know they're gone right away so it, it's kind of a similar type of thing you, you hope that you're you can control your client churn so that you don't have a high high churn rate in, in, with a subscription model but kind of kind of getting back to your question there the the way that we forecast that out is that you know you, we'll, we'll break out your different um, different uh, pay structures or different you know different types of I guess clients that you would have and and we'll, we'll break that out and do it completely separate so with your subscription base we understand that we're going to look at you know how your, your churn rate we're going to look at your, your your average client pickup you know the frequency all that kind of stuff will go right into that and so you know we'll, we'll model that part out there and then for the other part we, we look and, and say hey what's your capacity of your team so we always look at, at team first and so we're saying, you know what, if you're, if you're building hourly or flat fee, you're going to do it relatively the same way when you're building capacity out. So we're, we're saying, you know, hey, you've got 10 folks, you know, and based on this, they should do $100,000 this month. They should do 120 next month and so forth. So we'll, we'll plot that out for the year. And then what we do is we look at your pipeline and what's under contract. And so we say, you know what, you've got these things coming off a contract. This is, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Because, you, you know, you, you got a contract starting. you got a week or two between contracts. You're going to fall off there. So we'll plot that in there and we'll adjust that, that forecast that we put together based on capacity in the next three months based on what you have in contract. And so then that goes back to the team and says, you know what, team, we've got, 
this amount of money, you know, great that we got these contracts going, but we got we got we got to sell into this amount uh, for these next three months in order to hit our goals. And so now, now, now the the owner, the biz dev, everybody's got you know, hey, we can't just rely on what we have right now. We've got to do a little bit better, or or maybe the opposite. Maybe that those three contracts put us over, you know, that to takes our capacity and says, you know, now we're we've got no capacity, so we might have to hire contractors to help out. And fill, and fill a short-term void. And, and then after the three months, you, you know, we only look at really three months when we're doing the pipeline adjustment because after three months, it really gets fuzzy math after that. Yeah. But but it, it gives us the three-month look and saying, you know, hey, what's under contract and what do we have under capacity? And, and, we, and we look at that and then that's how we make those decisions or help. We help. We don't make the decisions, obviously, but we help the uh, the owner and their team make those decisions. That's, Matt, that's great. That's great advice. I mean, I feel like, the agency world feels like a get, like you, you talk about like, you know, entrepreneurships being like, you know, on your own. And then the agency world feels like a whole nother layer of like on your own, yeah. you know, just because it's, it's, you know, I could tell you from loans that I've gotten from banks and, you know, financial advisors I talk about on the surface, we're like uncharted territory. Like they just don't get it. Right. It's no. like they're looking at my revenue and saying, well, you only made, I don't know, let's say I sold five retainers you only made $2,000 this month. And I'm like, yeah, but the lifetime value of those $2,500 was, you know, whatever, $200,000. And they just don't understand lifetime value because they're used to dealing with one-time payment type business. Yep. So it's just so weird. You know, that subscription business model, we we honestly transitioned our business into that same thing about uh, maybe four years ago. And -hmm. we found the same success that you guys have found where it's like, Oh, it's so much more sustainable. It's predictable revenue that we can count on. You know, we have, you know, the only kind of AR that we have is print work. If we do a print, you know, a print job for a client, but the majority of our yep. stuff is recurring. And that, that makes all the difference. Oh, it, it makes a ton of difference, right? Because now you don't have to worry about payroll anymore. You don't have to, it, assuming you're managing your business well, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because it's, you already know what's coming in. And, and, and so really, you're just really, managing growth at that point you know that's right so now we got this coming in okay so how how do we manage growth successfully versus the next paycheck so it it completely turns your thinking process around 100 percent the quicker you go subscription based i I think the the easier it is for especially for an entrepreneur to sleep at night oh for sure people okay so people love stats now and i'm gonna put you on the spot here i don't know if you have any stats but but people love stats the the ones i'm specifically looking for is is there like a rule of thumb or a magic formula for the amount of money that a business should be making from a revenue annual revenue perspective per head, like per employee? Because I feel like I heard somebody tell me once like, hey, each employee should be making X amount of dollars in terms of revenue. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're not making enough money, you know? So no, yeah. is, is, is there any good rules of thumb around that? Yeah, yeah. So basically, the way what the rule of thumb that we use is that, and and I don't look at just employees. I look at producers. You know, sure. so admin people, I take those out. So a producer should make about two hundred thousand dollars a year per employee. Okay. So so every producer two hundred thousand dollars. Now that's going to be true for folks that are in the United States paying United States wages. Absolutely. So if, if yeah. You, if you have if you have folks that are out, outside of the country and they've got you know lower people, well then then that's gonna that's gonna throw a little wrinkle in that because yeah you, sure it changes it up a little bit yeah yeah it changes up completely so it's it's about three to four times what uh, you're paying a, what you're paying somebody is what you're going to you should expect uh, okay. for revenue 
That's fair. Mm-hmm. So if you if you have a team of let's say five people, and let's call let's just for sake of this conversation, they're all they're all producers. You mm-hmm. should be doing a million dollars in revenue to be yeah. in a good profit margin kind yeah. of space, right? Yeah, and, and you'll find most clients, most of our clients when they start out, or most agencies aren't there. You know that. Yeah, yeah. They're I'm thinking about I'm, I'm thinking about it right now, and I'm like, Jody, you and me are gonna have to have a conversation <laughs> offline, my friend. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting there. Okay, we're working on it diligently, but we have some opportunity yeah, yeah. here. Okay. Um, yeah, that, so, yeah, they're, they're closer to the hundred, hundred and twenty-five thousand, and a lot of times it's just the, they just don't they don't uh, believe in their own success, and, and they and they don't price appropriately. You know, you should as a yeah. marketing agency, you should be one hundred and fifty dollars an hour should be the minimum that you're charging, but you should be closer to one hundred and seventy-five to two hundred dollars per hour. And yeah, and uh, you know, if you're not doing that, you're really leaving a lot of money off the table, and you're probably taking clients you probably shouldn't be taking. Just shouldn't be working away with away from opportunities of bigger opportunity, you know, bigger opportunities you might have. So yeah, um, and that goes I, for profit, nonprofit it doesn't make any difference. I hear all the excuses in the world why they can't. Yeah, it's, do that. well, we only work with yeah, exactly, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I, the, to take you back to the beginning of this conversation, you said something. I don't know if you noticed me and John both like smirked at each other across the across the virtual room, but you talked about niching in. And that is yeah. something that we have horribly failed at. And I, like, I'm going to put it out there because I have no problem being transparent about where, where we're at from a yep. business standpoint. Yep. But we've always, because we printed out all of our clients that are on a retainer with us yesterday. And we were like, okay, is there any commonalities? Do we have? <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> there, we, have, we have how many ever clients we have almost all in individual industries and markets. And it's like, yep. shit, like, what do we? What do we do with this? Because normally that's yeah. the first place you start is you say, okay, mm-hmm. is there one industry? Well, no. So now back to the drawing board of like, okay, well, what kind of clients do we want? What kind of clients do we want to work with? What industries do we maybe have some some knowledge personally about? But that mm-hmm. is an area that we've really sucked at is like niching in and we know it's an opportunity. We know it's a, a, a way to kind of narrow our focus, narrow that target, narrow our content direction. I think our fear is, I, I don't think our fear is, what happens if people kind of come in outside of the lines? Because I think that's easy to go ahead and still serve those people. Yep. yep. I think our mm-hmm. I think our our bigger challenge has been what what industry? Like which one do we go after? Do we create six landing pages for six different industries and see which one like takes? Or do we just like suck it up and pick one and see what happens after six months? Yeah. What advice yeah. do you have for people that are maybe not narrowing their target? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Cause when we when we um, when we started, we, we had we had the narrow vertical, right? So we we, we sure. niched our vertical, which was our our service line. So we were doing virtual CFO. That wasn't picking the ground up, you know. It wasn't picking the speed up. And for some people, that may have picked up speed, and that may have may, may be all you had to do. But when we actually did industry niching, that was important. And my partner Adam, he was completely against. It. He's like, "Oh, if you do that, you're going to eliminate all these other opportunities <laughs> yeah. that you're going to get, right?" You know, yeah, our like, sales guy, well, no, our sales guy feels, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's like no, if you niche, if you narrow it, you're going to get more opportunities. And it's really hard to understand, hard to con- get that concept. But 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 when you think about it, like let's say you love working for accounting firms and you marketed everything you had. Hey, we are the marketing agency for accounting firms. We've helped accounting firms do X, Y, Z, and, and everything you're talking about, accounting firm, accounting firm, accounting firm. Well, guess what? Who's going to come to you? That's right. Accounting firms are. They're going to come to you in droves. And guess what? They're going to leave that marketing agent that did the general stuff. That's right. Because yeah. this accounting firm understands our industry, understands the vernacular. And man, it just it's amazing that 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 specific niche is you know generates so much revenue. And, it, and like I said, it wasn't until we did the niching 
we just blew up. But you've got to really press hard with it. You know, you've got to do all the social media. You got to do all. You got to get out there so that people understand and so that they can come to you. Because if you're if you're just going to niche and you're not going to market that niche, well, then you're going to fail miserably. You know, hundred percent. You know, that's why yeah. I wrote a book on it. That's why we do articles on it. That's why we're on podcasts on it. That's why we're here. You know, that type of thing, because we exactly. focus in that industry. Now, now the question is, is that, can you focus in multiple industries? I think you can, I think you can niche in multiple industries, but I think you need to really focus on one, be successful in that one, learn from that one before you can go on to the next. And, and, and I say that, and I think that's really an important thing. Cause if you try to go five different directions, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. You know, I, I think you'll fail because you have to have an expert in each one of those areas. You can't be the expert in five industries. That's not, that's not going to happen. You know, you've got to have people that are experts in those industries. So like, like for us, we're going to start niching into, you know, a real estate, you know, because we've got a, we've got a, a gentleman that, you know, he's really knowledgeable, really passionate, loves it, wants to get out. He's been talking in different, different events throughout the year last year. And it's like, this could be great opportunity because we've got somebody really focused in that. And now we can develop the KPIs around that, the important things around that. You know, we can we can go out and market that. And, you know, we've got another one that wants to get into the um, the cannabis industry, has a passion yeah. for it. You know, he lo- loves it. He's, he's done research on it. He's done conferences on it. And this would be a great opportunity to niche that. And so now we've got our marketing team focusing on narrow niches, cannabis, real estate, creative agencies. And we've got a different person in there. That yeah. is actually that thought leader that's going to be championing that that relationship. And I think you can that's do great. it. If you've got that team and you want to try five at one time, you better have five thought leaders. That's Yeah, you've got at. to. Yeah. That's, no, I think if that's a great point because I think that that's where a lot of businesses struggle. It's like, and this is where I know from an inbound marketing perspective, it's like, okay, like you said, if we were going after you know, um, accounting firms or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. Every single blog post, every single video, every single social media post, every single podcast episode, like we are, we are speaking to that person, that persona. Yep. Um, whereas if we split it by three or four, it's like, oh, great guys. We wrote two blog posts in each category and Andrew's <laughs> trying to be the guy for every one. It's like, right. so what, like, what are you an expert in? You know? So mm-hmm. I th- first of all, thank you for the free advice. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so because, because that it's, it's cer- certainly something that we are, it is an active conversation that we've had for the, the, the last, I mean, well, for the entirety of our business, but really, you know, kind of an emphasis on it in the last few months is like, yeah, we have you know, to. And, and, and I would say that don't be afraid to service other clients. Like we don't turn clients away. So if, if clients yeah. come to us and they're in the, the law field, you know, we won't turn that client away. We just don't market to that client. Right. And, and that's the, that's the biggest key. So when you niche, you're marketing to a niche doesn't mean you can't serve other clients. You know, some people are thinking, well, I, I can only serve that client. I can do that. Well, great. If, if that works for you, you can grow fast with it. Yeah, I go for it. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I, I think it, it takes a while to develop that niche. I think it's going to take you, you know, a year, two years of really pounding the, ta- you know, pounding the, the pavements there before that niche really you know, gets off. So don't get rid of your other clients or you'll go out of business pretty quickly. I, yeah, keep exactly, your other yeah. clients, you know, keep servicing them, bring it. Like, like I said, we, we'll pick up, you know, a client, you know, we, we just picked up a pie company out of California. You know, nice. do we niche, are we, are we, do we niche in that space? No, we don't, but we can service that because we've got all this vast knowledge that we can carry over to that, that industry and, and, and serve that person just equally as, you know, we could serve a creative agency and yeah. because of the, the knowledge thing. You know, there's not a knowledge gap just because, 
you know, you're marketing towards accountants now. It doesn't mean you don't understand how to market towards lawyers or construction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, absolutely. So, yeah. so don't, yeah. So don't give away that extra forty percent because, like I said, sixty percent of our clients are in our aren't in our niche. Forty percent aren't. We wouldn't mm-hmm. be as big as we are and successful we are if we didn't have all hundred percent of those clients. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I know. I just did a quick Google search here just because we were talking about accounting firms, how many accounting firms are there in the United States? I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but it says roughly 1.3 million accountants. And <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> 650,000 CPAs. So if you talk about niche and in, you think, oh, I'm narrowing, I'm narrowing. You narrowed it down to 1.3 million people that may want your product that's instead of <laughs> billions who don't care <laughs> and trying to filter out the 1.3 million. I, I liken yeah. it to, you know, you're going, you're looking for a specific, you know, wildflower. You got to go to where that wildflower is, but other flowers grow there too. Yep. You know, yeah. That's, no, that's, awesome. that's, that's great. And, and if you can, if you can service clients all across the United States, then it, that's great. If you can't, like if you're still brick and mortar, you can only service in your area. Well, then you might want to check your niches out. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. you might not have... <laughs> enough that, that many yeah 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 and it's yeah. kind of a google search right you can just do a google search you know hey yeah that's what i just did near me and then just kind of mm-hmm. keep expanding it until you get to a point where you can see oh there's a thousand of them okay that's big enough for me to to actually go after that niche you know so there's yeah, ways yeah. to actually figure it out but yeah you're, you're right 100 percent. you know if you know, don't don't be afraid of an industry because there's most most industries mm. are going to have a ton but i will tell you make sure that you when, when you do pick an industry pick one that's not going to really suffer significantly during like a, a recession you know yeah. it, it would be it would be a, a poor choice to Smart. pick you know an industry that's heavily affected by recessions as yeah. your vertical because that that would be a bad thing so you want to you want to try to find industries that can really even thrive during a recessionary period than they could in a non-recessionary period or if you pick that vertical make sure you pick another vertical that's just the opposite so that mm-hmm. you know you, you don't uh, you're not going to lose all your clients you know right away yeah yeah that's great advice yeah, great advice. What? Let me ask you this. What would you say are the four most important financial metrics for growing your business? Yeah, so we when we talk to uh, agencies, we always talk about cash is your number one. Uh, so you want to have 10% of your annualized revenue in the bank. We, were, we kind of mentioned that already. In addition to that, you want to have 40% of your forecasted net income in the bank. So, so 10% of your annualized revenue, which if you're a $3 million company, that's $300,000. And let's say you're your uh, net income is $100,000 for simple math, that's 40. So you want to have at least $40,000 set aside in a separate account, and that's the pinnacle Sam at the end of the year. Because again, it's not mm-hmm. your money, it's really it's really an account's payable that you just don't have yeah. booked. And, and so yeah. you want to make sure that's set aside, <clears throat> you know, built and set aside so that when April comes, you have it. So that's, that's your number one metric, 10% of your analyzed revenue, 40% of cash. Uh, the number two uh, really is based on what type of business that you are. If you're an hourly-based business, it's going to be your average bill rate and your utilization rate. Those are your two big things. If you multiply average bill rate by utilization rate, it comes to what we call an effective rate. And, and that effective rate, you want to make sure is is very is is in line with what you're actually paying your team. So if your effective rate ends up coming to, let's say it's a hundred bucks an hour, and you're paying your team an average of cost of fifty bucks an hour, that doubles where you're what you're looking for. And so that's that's the gap there. So when you ask me the question. If it's a two hundred thousand versus a one, you know how much you know, should a, a person generate? Well, it really depends on how much money you're paying them. <laughs> you know that that's that's mm-hmm. what it, yeah. they, 
you know, that's where that's where that comes down to. And, sure. and, and that effective rate, average bill rate utilization, that's going to help you really kind of build your forecast. You know, and if you're if you're a subscription base, you're looking at churn, lifetime value, you know, all that kind of good stuff, you know, is, is the kind of the metric bucket that we put it in. Uh, the third metric bucket we put in is, is your financial forecast. And so we say for like a, a, a service based company, you should have a gross profit of 50 percent. And what mm-hmm. does that mean? That's your revenue minus your direct costs of your employees. So that's that's your employee salary. That's your employee burden. So that's what it cost, you know, like your four hundred one k plan, taxes, all that kind of stuff. If, if you have if you buy computers for your employees, that's in there. If your if your employees, you know, whatever direct costs are related to your employees should go into that bucket there. Also, direct software costs that are used in the production of what you do. So you mm-hmm. know, you're looking at those two things. Um, you know, it should equal that, uh, that, that gross profit. Now, if you're a media spend company, well, then you, you always take the media, you start with the, the top line revenue with the media in there, you take the media spend out, that's your net revenue, and then your net revenue minus those direct costs I mentioned should be that 50%. So, uh, so it really depends on which type of agency you're looking at, but that 50% is important. Uh, no more than uh, 5% should be on facility costs. So get kind of, kind of getting below that that margin there, five percent on facility costs, and you want to have between seven and ten percent on marketing. Then the rest would be administration. So the overall admin bucket or overhead bucket should be no more than thirty-five percent. So you got fifty percent on your employees, thirty-five percent on your overhead, which should leave you with fifteen percent bottom line. And so that bottom line should include. It, well, basically, before that bottom line hits, it should have your salaries and stuff like that it should be in the admin side as an owner. Marketing salaries in the in, in the admin side as marketing person, you know, at, you know, it, so you, you should make sure you, you make sure you're bucketing things correctly. So that mm-hmm. bottom line is 15 percent. So that 15 percent is what every agency should have as a bare minimum. Now, how does it go better than that? Well, the better than that is. You know, maybe I'm not paying myself a lot. You know, that's going to increase the net income. You know, it's going to make make it look make it look wrong, I guess. You know, you know, give you a false sense of hey, we're doing really well. Well, I'm not paying myself at least one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Then you probably should get a get a job because that's kind of what you have at that point. So you want to build yourself to that one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Anything over that, you may want to discount a little bit. You know, to, to add to that net income because maybe you're paying yourself a lot more money. And it's distorting your net income. So there's a lot of things in there. But if you're doing everything right with, you know, hunt, you know, revenue, 50% gross profit, 35% overhead, including your salary, leaving with 15% to the bottom line to build cash, you know, build for growth and then take money out for taxes and so forth. You know, that that's the that's the metric there. And then the fourth metric is just simply your pipeline metrics. And there's a lot of them that go in there, your, your, your closing percentages and so forth. That's going to really kind of build into the fact that, how long you need to actually be able to ramp up to be able to sustain the numbers that you put in your forecast. So, you know, the, the, the four the four buckets again would be the cash metrics, then your production metrics, then your financial, and then your pipeline metrics. Jody, you're still us over all here, of those in that book. That you're <laughs> you're schooling us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was literally gonna pivot to the book because obviously we're running out of time, and because I feel like there's a million more questions we could ask you. But before before I give you the chance to promote your book, let me give you a couple rapid fires, if that's okay. Yep, let's do it. All right, one, technology. What are your favorite tools to kind of help business owners manage some of these things? Yeah, so for reporting, we use Reach Reporting. Uh, that's a really cool dashboard reporting. Uh, connects uh, with QuickBooks, QBO, and a lot of different softwares. Really, 
really nice. So we use that for forecasting. We use uh, two different tools. We use Giraffe, J-I-R-A-V, and Plan Guru for forecasting. Uh, they're the only tools that right now that we we use that we can actually t- plug in the non-financials and really sure. can help spit out the financials. So those are the those are the two. I'd say that cash flow tools, the product called Cash Flow Tools by Finograph is also a great a great one because that helps with the short-term cash, also connects with cookbooks and other other things. Mm-hmm. And so those are the three awesome. financial tools that we use with our clients that uh, is, 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 is really great. Obviously, you know, you got the QuickBooks of the worlds and, you know, the divvies, sure. which is like the uh, expense, you know, the, the spend management, you know, those things are more client centric, but for the, uh, for the use with our internal stuff, those are the, those are the three tools. You know, people love tools. How about, uh, what are some of the common financial mistakes that you're seeing most agencies and businesses mistake make? Oh, without a doubt, not having enough cash in the bank, without mm-hmm. a doubt. Uh, they take all their money out. They, they, they heard from their accountant that you got to take all your money out because you don't want to pay taxes on it, all that kind of baloney. Um, yeah. No, I want to pay taxes because that means I'm doing really well. Right. <laughs> you know, yep. The more taxes I pay, <laughs> that's my biggest KPI you could ever have. If I pay a million bucks in taxes, I'm cool because I'm driving around and flying. Or, you know, I got a yacht that's in the, in the harbor at Tampa Bay. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> I make so much money, you know? so that that's that's how I look at it. There, so I, I would say you know keeping cash in the bank is really important. Again, that ten percent rule I mentioned should be without a doubt that the minimum that you keep all the time in the bank there, because that's going to help you drive uh, financial decisions without being emotional with it. All right, how about how important is culture as it pertains oh, to business? Oh, culture is 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 king. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, culture, especially with the remote company. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah it, my, my gosh. Every, every time we do a, um, we, we do employee surveys every quarter and uh, we, we, we are always score with, you know, I'd say 82 is probably the lowest we've ever been to like 89% on culture, you know, because you, yeah. you've got to have a culture where people like coming to work, like yep. doing the job, like helping their clients. Mm-hmm. Because that, that translates, you know, people are first. You, you treat your people well, yeah. your clients will be happy and you'll make profits. You know, so it should go in that order. People, clients, profits. And, uh, you know, so whatever you need to do to improve that culture, whether it's having team retreats, you know, we have team retreats twice a year. We're fully remote. We've got to. People have got to touch each other, hang out with each other, grab a beer. And so we have team retreats twice a year. We spend 3000 yes. actually 3000 up to $3,000 a person on these retreats. Wow. When you have 75 people, that's a ton of money. But yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Well yeah, it's worth because it. we don't want turnover. <laughs> we want yeah, our right. people to enjoy coming to work and be a part of that process. So culture Without without a high culture, you're doomed. That is, that is a that'll be my final rapid fire question. Seriously, yeah. you've brought so much wisdom today. I feel like I need yeah. to have this conversation with you. Right. I think our <laughs> listeners are going to find find the same stuff to be valuable. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, and I, I've written a few books. Uh, the, the the one that we're talking about is Digital Dollars and Cents. I wrote it, uh, geez, probably four years ago. It's been been a little while, and it, it really kind of outlines everything that we talked about. You know, from you know the, the metrics that you knew that you need to know how to apply those metrics, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you can get it on Amazon. It's it's fairly inexpensive. You can get it on Amazon, and and um, you know you know. And if you want a copy of the book, just let me know, and I can I'm sure I can get you a copy if you can't afford to top on. But it's like twenty bucks or so on Amazon, so it should be pretty pretty easy. But it does outline everything. I've written a lot of other booklets on forecasting and stuff like that. Like, you know, more more towards fifty page, you know, reads. Mm-hmm. If uh, anybody wants that, you know, feel free to reach out to me as well, and I'll I'll, I'll send you a copy of one of those. Yeah, hundred percent seems like it's it would be worth the purchase, worth the read. I mean, just just the value that we've had in this conversation, which is. You know, a little over 45 minutes long has been tremendous 
for me, mm-hmm. and again, I know our listeners are going to find a lot of value here too. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. And you guys should definitely go support him and get the book. Check out Absolutely. everything he's doing. If you're an agency owner, I know you guys are listening to my podcast, taking all my ideas. <laughs> yeah, It's all good. It's all good. We, we, we're here we welcome it. everybody around here. All right. Make sure you guys check him out because I think that there's a lot of great stuff there. We like to end every episode with a hack. So I'm going to run this little effect, and then Jody, it's up for you to come up with a hack for our listeners, all right? Okay. Hacks! All right, Jody, what you got for us? Oh, man, a hack. I, I would I would say, you know, it, it, we talked about it, and we kind of hit it over the head, but mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, Cash is going to be king. If we go into a recession over these next few, this next year, keep in mind you've got a year and a half is what a recession typically lasts. So you've got to be able to build enough cash to be able to survive a, a significant portion of that. If you have 10% of your annualized revenue in the bank, that's two months. If you've got 30%, that's six months. If you have a line of credit with nothing on it, that could give you equal to that 10%, that could give you another two months, you know, just in cash without having any business. And that to me is what you need to, in, in order to get through a recessionary period, which I think is going to happen. Highly recommend it. I would also recommend another hack real quick would be is that if you get that line of credit, get it for a two-year renewal. Don't don't get it for an annual renewal. Two-year renewal, again, you got that nine, you know, you got that uh, 18-month period for that possible recession. You don't want to renew a line of credit during recession. <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> so, so get it so you can renew it every two years versus renew it once a year. That's great awesome. Advice. What a great, great episode. Jody, why don't you tell people Absolutely. how they can follow you, your website, your social media, whatever, how they can support you all the way around. Yeah. I mean, you know, feel free you know, for, for one, if you ever have any questions, feel free to just reach out to me. Uh, I uh, take emails all the time. It's Jody, J-O-D-Y at summitcpa.net. Again, it's not net, not instead of .com. I didn't want to pay the extra money for the .com. Thing, so. <laughs> hey, it's all good. <laughs> it's <laughs> not <laughs> And then, of course, you can follow me on LinkedIn, um, you know, and, and Twitter, Jay Grundon. You know, there's all different things. Uh, Summit CPA Group has some really great website um, information on, on like YouTube and stuff like that. So, if, you know, mm-hmm. if just look us up. Uh, you'll be able to find us. We put a ton of material out there just to help everyone on, on this podcast out. My, my actual goal would be is if, if, if everyone on this learned enough to really kind of improve their stuff, that's mm-hmm. a win. That's a win for us. And so that's, yep. uh, that's what we do. We provide a ton of free Free, free literature to help you uh, grow your business. That's amazing. Thanks again, Jody. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com.